Hey everyone, I hope you're having an absolutely excellent weekend. I just wanted to again thank all of the listeners. I get to look at a little map that shows where people are listening from, and there's people from New Zealand and Australia and Europe, and and then of course here in North America. For those of you in warmer continents at this time, I just want to let you know the last couple of weeks here in Alberta have been between minus 25, minus 35 degrees. So bring a little bit of that warmth on over here. We could sure use it. As many of you know, Leading Lightly is all about bringing those fundamentals to life so that you can make your job easier as a leader and and achieve more and, and make a bigger impact. Sometimes they're lighter topics, pretty simple topics that I think they're the fundamentals a lot of people forget. But then sometimes there's those big theories that uh, that can really rock how we think through things. And today, I got to tell you, the pieces have come together, and this theory is quite a big one. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Kirk Kinnear. I'm here to support leaders that know what it feels like to carry that heavy burden, who care about their staff and want to make an impact in the organizations they're leading. My commitment to you as a current leader is to give you company and to bring you to a place of leading lightly. Okay, here we go. So bear with me on this. This is, uh, I, I just keep kind of trying to flesh this one out. And uh, it's its quite a heavy concept. So, whew. okay. Anyways, let's try and get this going. So when I was uh, starting Hubbadub, which is a, is a community engagement platform, and it gets people involved in community, I did a lot of research at that time on the value of community. We hear people say that community is valuable. We hear uh, all sorts of stuff about the value of community. And then there's this doctor named uh, Julian Holt Lundsted, and she has one of the most cited articles, uh, cited, um, or she has a ton of citations, and a lot of them are around her research on longevity. And one of her findings, um, she has a chart on one of her research findings that that actually puts two types of social connections above smoking, drinking, obesity, everything, and uh, to determine longevity. So if you had these two, it's actually more valuable than if you stop smoking or drinking or whatever. And and just, I, I won't speak on her behalf, but she is not undermining the, the value of stopping all those other things. She's just saying these two things could be a larger indicator of longevity. And both of them are social community connections. One of them is frequent kind of shoulder rubbing connections. Now, again, please don't uh, cite me on this. Go and look at the work that uh, Julian Holt Lundstedt has done. But uh, the other one is, uh, is deep connections. So those deep relationships that really change, uh, they're really influential in your life. So both of them are important, meeting the person in the corner store and and having deep connections. So imagine if those are both indicators of longevity and health, imagine how our society is doing today. I genuinely believe that we are focused on a very small fragment of our current health in our society. If you just look at the statistics, I believe that we, the ripple from this will be bigger than this problem, the current pandemic that we're experiencing across our society. If the research of people like Julian Holt Lundsted and all of these people are correct. I believe we're focused on the wrong thing at a very, very high level. I'm talking macro. I'm not talking that 
people aren't valuable or anything like that. I am saying macro, if community is that important, we've completely distorted our community and destroyed it over the last two years. So the impact from that could be significant in the long run. You can quote me on that part. I think that's going to be true. Uh, but I'm not saying that there's there's no issue here with the pandemic or anything. I just think, man, the ripple of this could supersede the rock that started the ripple. So anyways, let's uh, jump from that to the next piece. So if, if you think community is really important, and I, I've researched, I've talked to a lot of people actually, especially when I was starting the, that company, I was doing a ton of research on my own through this. And you quickly realize that research, like, or when you talk to people, they always end up referring to their relationships with other people, which means that is truly a very important thing in a lot of conversations. How many conversations do you have with someone that don't involve talking about somebody in some community at some point? There's very few, right? So let's just accept that community is a critical part. And thank goodness to technology, some people have chosen to find their communities online and continue their communities. And I think something like this pandemic will affect them a bit less than uh, some others, even though they're not getting a part of that, which is that meeting random people with different opinions and and shoulder rubbing. So if you want to learn more about her research, uh, just look up Julian Holt Lundstedt and uh, you will get the information you uh, the more specific information. So I just did a, a pretty probably rough summary of that. So anyways, <clears throat> now if let's let's say let's accept that that community has something to do with our success and just look around in your life and it's pretty clear that relationships are important. Now let's dump, jump into human history. If you look, humanity was nomadic for a long time. And then it was the birth of agriculture that really started to build uh larger, healthier, more robust human civilizations. I think the Egyptians were one of the first to to do farming, and then the Romans definitely figured that out, and then it's continued on from there. Maybe there was somebody before the Egyptians, but I, I believe Egyptians were one of the first to do some of this agriculture. So once people stopped moving, they were able to build. Now follow this, they were able to build stronger communities. Now if you rewind even further, I'm sure humans lived in even smaller pockets when they were very nomadic, like 20, 30, maybe even five or 10 people. But their survival was dependent on their ability to get along with other people. Therefore, to be in a community. If you had a bear that was continually trying to eat stuff in your camp, you had a much better chance of stopping it and succeeding if there was more than one of you in a group. So you'd start hanging out with other people. So if you were to look over the way we've adapted to survive, community is critical. It's it's absolutely critical. Like tools, we're tool makers as well. Steve Jobs does an excellent job explaining that. But um, we're also community mindset. We have that from the beginning. So if you take that concept you think humans have adapted better. If you were in a bigger tribe when you were nomadic, you're more likely to be able to stand up to a smaller tribe. So therefore, in order to survive, you needed community. Now, here's where this concept gets a little mind-boggling for me, is I always thought it was about community. And when I started to think about human history, it's actually about survival. I don't think it's about community. I think it's about survival. 
Now, in survival, you have two responses. Well, some people would argue you have two major responses, um, and that's fight or flight. So if you were to think about survival, fighting and flighting, um, when, when a risk came up to you, you would either run away or you would, um, you would face it. And you were more likely to be able to successfully face a threat if you had more people around you. You kind of get that concept. So that's one piece. And then as humans became more community or stronger communities, less nomadic, their ability uh, to build better tools and everything else started to and better, build bigger ideas and everything started to exponentially increase. And, and now we have a almost like a global community. Like I said at the beginning, there's people listening to this from New Zealand and from Australia and all these different areas. And I'm sitting here in Canada, uh, and more specifically in Alberta. I used to be able to talk 100 years ago. The most people I could talk to is get a newspaper maybe published around in these areas, and maybe a couple thousand people would listen. But now we're a bigger community. We have a very broad, very strong community. So now follow this along. If you were to go to the fight and flight response, uh, I read an article that was talking, I, I believe fighting is working together to find a solution or, or working towards a solution. And often people can't fight without community. Even in today's day and age, if you want to compete at this level, you need a lot of information. So you need a lot of people, different, different perspectives. So community has become very critical, even though we have massive communities all around us, we need to find people that are in kind of our niche and can challenge our ideas and make us stronger. So I was reading this article and I always, and it's National Geographic, it's your emotions. And uh, I don't know what episode this, or which uh, episode, that's funny. Um, I don't know which page this is or when this was published, but I get these all the time. So anything to do with human psychology, I pretty much will almost always buy in a uh, magazine store. But this is your emotions, the science of how you feel. And in here, they cover depression. And there's a there's a doctor or a psychologist, Paul W. Andrews, and he considers depression the silver lining. So now we've talked about how you fight. You fight with a community. But then when you retreat, you go in, like in, in modern days, you go into a state of depression. Uh, or some form of pulling inward. You often aren't reaching out to your community. You start pulling inward. I would say in the modern day, when you're not fighting with clubs or, or swords or anything, your retreat is actually internal. You're retreating into yourself. And, and uh, psychologist Paul W. Andrews considers depression a silver lining. And I'm just going to read this. An evolved adaptation that helps the gene line, line survive. Though it certainly doesn't feel like a benefit when you're experiencing it. Andrew theorizes, Andrews theorizes that by dampening our mood, depression encourages us to slow down and think about problems until we come up with a solution. So that's an internal process. So if, if fighting is working together on a team, flighting is working with yourself to go through a reflective process. I remember I was listening to a thing on Tony Robbins. He talks about his lowest time. He got overweight. He was he was sitting there, and I think, I don't know what he called himself, but he didn't have a good term for himself. And it was at that moment he realized he needed to change. He needed to grow. He needed to do everything. 
So that would be a response from uh, flight. Now, here's the trick is when I was studying dopamine hits and all of this, what I realized is when people retreat, the most important thing they shouldn't do is soothe. Now, what soothing is, is doing something that will make you not pay attention to that retreat, not pay attention to yourself. Now, I've never heard of people describing this as a flight mechanism. Um, and maybe there is somebody. And if there is, please let me know. But when you're in a flight mode, in my mind, you are in a state of retreat, and you are at a place of reflection. Now reflection is the most common part of the cycle of wisdom. And I think there is a there is a podcast on that on leading lightly. Um, but uh, so if you were to think of wisdom, the wisdom cycle, it is the ability to have experience and education. So you have knowledge and experience. And then the ability to reflect on it and grow, that's where the wisdom comes from because we know people with a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, but they don't reflect on it. So do you kind of see how this is starting to fill in here? So you've got a retreat. So you, you fight with your community or you retreat into yourself and you go through a reflective state. Now by reflecting, the most important thing, if you're in that state, you're in survival mode. You're not in depression. You're not in anxiety. You're not in any of these things that would be considered negative emotions, according to this National Geographic, which they actually pose them all as positive because they force you to look at yourself. And the interesting thing I find with this magazine is they have the positive ones and they have the negative emotions. And uh, I was like, wow. But then when you look at it, every negative emotion has to do something to do with some kind of introspective focus so that you can come out stronger. This is, sorry, I just dumped a ton of stuff on everybody, but I want to give you a tip. And uh, this one's really important to me personally. If you were at a place of reflection, if you have retreated into yourself, one thing I'm going to, I really would like you to encourage, to encourage you to do is during that time, unplug. Get the distractions out of your mind as much as you possibly can. Yes, you can soothe as in you can find things that make you feel better during that time, but make sure that those things are healthy and not distracting that moment where you can really grow yourself. Because if that's truly a flight response, you're either going to reflect and grow or you know what's going to happen in the long run. And we see more and more of that over the last uh, decade. And I genuinely believe we have a lot of loss of life in our society because people don't have the time or the uh, ability to unplug during that difficult time of reflection and actually reflect and grow. Because if you reflect and grow properly during those times of retreat, during those flight response moments, if you use that properly, you can come out so much stronger. And if you don't, well, we all know what'll happen. The more like you can become, you can get into a state where you're really reflective, but if you don't come out of that and get back into your community and get those connections, maybe you choose better connections, better members of your community that'll grow you and make you stronger. You can get yourself into a lot of trouble. So I, it's, I, I hope you enjoyed this concept. Sorry. I feel like I dumped a lot, but I'm kind of excited about this because I always thought it was community, but it's actually, I believe it's survival. And I believe that running that retreat is actually 
it's a good thing if you use it properly. If we don't let the distractions of this world take over and we really reflect on how we're living our lives and what we need to change, maybe even with our community, and then go from a retreat mode back into moving forward by building up a strong and healthy and vibrant community for you. Whatever side of this pendulum, whether you're in in fight or flight mode, I hope you just realize that they're both valuable and that you can take that time and leverage it as best you can to make a stronger version of you and surround yourself with a stronger community in the long term. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, remember to subscribe. If you know other leaders who could benefit from leading lightly, feel free to share. For more resources, visit our website at leadinglightly.com. 